Hey guys, Riley here. Thank you for checking out the Podcasters Podcast from Podigy. That's a lot of peas. But uh, first things first, I'd like to apologize for the lateness of this episode. So this is our compiled episode of all of our mixing techniques that we've gone through, showing you EQ, compression, DSing, multiband compressors, all sorts of things like that. And I promised that I would be back in one week after writing up a guide for the website. Turns out I took off two weeks to write up two guides for the website, and that is because Reaper, you'll know from our guides about editing, snuck in a spectral editor into their latest update. And so that was pretty crazy because it changes the game for a lot of different denoising techniques. And so we wrote up about that, one of the only guides out there right now showing people how to do that. So go check that out up on the website. And we also have a complete guide now to recording and not just sort of setting up your room and getting sort of your mic set up correctly, but also doing things like routing a mix minus out to Skype and having the Skype track come right back to your DAW or creating aggregate devices or using ASIO for all. Or if you've ever heard of voice, uh, voice meter banana, it took me two weeks just trying to figure out that program. Did it. We cracked the code. We got it all done. Now it's ready for you to enjoy and to use and to better your podcast. It's up on the website for free, Ponji.co. We've got a whole guide section now, and we'll be expanding that out further as well. But again, I have to apologize for taking so much time off. Won't happen again. We'll be back next week with a few new episodes. But for right now, enjoy our mega episode on per track FX chains in podcasts. All right. Catch you at the end. The Equalizer. An equalizer is a plugin that we use to modify the frequency response of our audio. It's the most basic of all the building blocks to get our voice to start sounding professional. We can accentuate parts of our audio or correct flaws caused by our room. Anytime you start editing a podcast, EQ will be the first thing we start using and probably the last thing we'll adjust. It's our Swiss army knife to fix all sorts of problems that we might run into, so it's very important that we learn to use it correctly. For us podcasters, we're mostly going to be applying EQ to voices. Moreover, we're trying to make our podcast sound warm and inviting most of the time, not hyper-real or out-of-this-world like voices on pop song sound. So this means there are a few fundamental rules that we can follow when we break down the areas of the human voice. If you look at an EQ graph or when you start up a plug-in, you'll see typically there's a screen that shows you from 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. Let's start with anything below 80 hertz, and this is of little use to us. There's no information here that the human voice contains because the human voice only goes down to 80 hertz. So if we put a high-pass filter on it or a filter that passes over without touching anything higher than the frequency we specify at this point, 80 hertz, all we're getting rid of is information that can't help out our podcast. So it'll mostly be thumps, bumps, or plosives, which are bursts of air into the mic when we're saying words with puh sounds. Coincidentally, like plosives. And so we do this to take away a lot of the energy of this. And if you're looking at an EQ that has different roll-off curves, try a negative 12 or a negative 16 decibel per octave roll-off. This will give you lots of energy at 80 hertz, but will roll off nicely any energy below that. And we want to make sure that below 80 hertz is cleared out because 80 to 120 hertz is where we get the full rich timber of voices. This is the fundamental of our voice, the very bottom of our chest coming up through into the mic. One of the reasons why phone calls sound so off-putting is because they don't even include this frequency. Phone calls start at 300 hertz, making our voices sound thin and wispy, and then digital and crunchy, but that's another matter. Point being, this range is important to both intelligibility and warmth, so we want to make sure that we leave it relatively untouched when we're doing our EQing. 
Moving up from there, 200 to 240 hertz is where we start getting the boominess in our voices. Boosting in this area can make our voices sound too heavy or dense. It can be a little unpleasant if you've got earbuds in. If you're looking to make a PA announcer effect in your podcast, this is a good frequency to look to boost. But if you're having difficulty balancing the perceived loudness of a male and female podcaster, try making a cusp around 200 to 240 in the male's voice. From 300 hertz to 1 kilohertz is where we hear the most reflections of our voice from the room that we're in. If you're in a large space with lots of hard surfaces, reducing the frequencies in this area can make your audio sound more like it was recorded in a smaller, more intimate environment. It won't fix everything, but it can definitely start to make your recording sound more expensive, I guess is the right word. From there, 2 to 3 kilohertz is the area that adds clarity to our voice. These are the frequencies that give shape to the fundamental frequencies, the 80 to 120 hertz. If you're looking for a frequency response of the human ear, actually, you'll see a bump in the 1 to 3 kilohertz range because we've evolved to listen for those frequencies. They're so essential to the human voice. Perhaps not surprisingly, telephone call maxes out at 3.4 kilohertz, as this is the highest frequency you'll need to ensure intelligibility of the speaker. So if you've got a track and you're having difficulty understanding someone in the recording, try boosting this area because your listener's ears are already listening to this range more than others. So again, the two to three kilohertz range is this real important intelligibility area. And then from there, from the five to maybe 15 kilohertz area is this area that produces sibilance. Sibilance is the name that we give extra energy T and S sounds have that disproportionately cut through audio recordings and can be very draining to listeners' ears. Typically, you don't want to try and EQ these areas out. It's better to use a de-esser, which is something we'll get to in a later podcast. And then from 15 kilohertz and beyond, this is the air of the track. This is the part of the voice in pop songs that gives the vocals a sense of space, and it's really lovely when it's used that way. However, when you listen to your favorite podcast, you'll probably notice that there's almost no information in the high end. Professionals don't seem interested in this very sparkly area of the voice at all. There's a real good reason for this. It's because really high frequencies don't do well when they're converted into a low bitrate format, like the ones we send out podcasts in. You'll notice that 64 kilobits per second, all the high-end energy that producers lovingly call crisp, start to sound harsh and distorted. So more often than not, especially with less expensive microphones with a boosted high-end, we'll put a multi-band compressor on this area to tame the harshness. At this point, you're probably noticing that almost all the EQing tips stated here thus far have been about cutting frequencies, reducing them when we hear them. However, almost all the presets you see for dialogue EQ will recommend boosting frequencies. So why don't we do that here at Podigy? Why don't we only cut? And there's a very good reason for this. Boosting the EQ can also bring up the noise floor and any resonant frequencies found in the room. So your boost to make your voice more intelligible is also boosting the whine of the laptop in the room or the refrigerator in the background or maybe the air conditioning ducts that you're not really paying attention to by making effort to cut frequencies that we don't want and leave the ones that we do want relatively untouched for making the sound overall cleaner. Because most podcasts are almost never recorded in an acoustically neutral environment, cutting frequencies can make the resulting podcast sound more professional. This EQ that you're listening to right now is all cut frequencies, and if you head over to podgy.co and check out our podcast editing guide, you'll see it's all cut. We don't boost at all. Now that we have a handle on how to use EQ, let's talk about where to put it in our effects chain. Typically for podcasters, Anything that's denoising the track or giving you a better signal-to-noise ratio, we want to put the EQ after. And same thing with gates. We want to have our EQ after the gate so that our EQ is not giving the gate an artificially boosted or reduced signal. 
but we want to make sure we have our EQ ahead of compressors. This way we aren't inadvertently altering the loudness of our tracks, ensuring that they're all conforming to the loudness standards that we're going to figure out in the later episodes. So in wrapping up, again, an EQ will be something you use more than almost any other effect, except for maybe compressors to get your sound sounding just right. It shapes your audio and it gives your podcast its distinct sound. So it's really important to make sure you figure out an EQ that works for you. Today, we're talking about compression for podcasts. And we're doing this early on because compressors are perhaps the most misunderstood and misused of all the tools podcasters have at their disposal to edit podcasts. They've been on every single episode of a big name podcast that you've listened to, yet you're probably a little shaky on what they're doing and when to use them. So today we're going to make clear what a compressor does, what all of its components are supposed to do, and the best places in your effects chain to use them. We're also going to go through the simplest free compressor that you can start using right now to get your podcast levels more in line and the best way to set it up. It might seem tricky right now, but getting a good handle on how compressors work can save you a lot of time in the editing bay trying to get levels right. So fundamentally, a compressor is a way to control dynamics of our voice. It does this by bringing down the loudest parts of our signal, like the beginnings of words and sentences, p and t sounds, etc., so that there is less dynamic range between the loudest and the quietest parts of our podcast. And we do this because when the dynamic range is smaller, you can amplify the whole signal more before it starts to clip. So let's do an example. Let's say you record an episode of a podcast and one speaker is very quiet when he talks, but he laughs extraordinarily loud. So when he talks, his voice is much quieter than everyone else's. And let's say it peaks around negative 21 decibels. So he'd like to bring that volume up. However, his laughter peaks at negative one decibels. So you can only bring up the level of his track by one decibel before his laughter starts clipping, and yet his speaking voice being raised only one decibel would still be much too quiet because we've got a dynamic range of 20 decibels, negative 1 dB at his laughter, negative 21 when he talks. And this is a little bit of an extreme example. But with a compressor, we can bring down the volume of the loudest parts of his laughter to negative 11 dB, meaning our dynamic range would now only be 10 dB because negative 11 dB, negative 21 dB, only 10 decibels of difference there. And we would be able to bring up the full track volume up by 11 decibels before it started clipping now. And all of a sudden you have a lot more leeway to match the audio of our quiet talker with other speakers in the podcast. And this is what makes compressors so powerful. So unlike an equalizer, which is a static effect that applies the same processing to the incoming signal no matter how the signal changes, a compressor is reactive and only affects incoming audio when a certain parameter is met. Because compressors deal in volume, the parameter it looks for is the loudness of the incoming signal and it only starts to apply processing once the audio crosses a threshold that we determine. In our example above, because we only want to bring down the volume of the laughter, we could set the threshold at negative 20 dB and all of his speech, which peaked at 21 dB, would pass through the compressor unaffected. And once our audio crosses that threshold, our ratio determines by how much the compressor will reduce the dynamic range. Setting a good ratio is the thing that seems to trip up so many new podcasters because it's tough to wrap your head around exactly what a ratio is. When you're setting a ratio, you're setting the amount of incoming volume in decibels it will take to make the compressor go up by 1 dB above the threshold. So a ratio of 2 to 1 means that for every 2 decibels above the threshold the audio is, the compressor will only rise by 1 decibel. While a ratio of 10 to 1 would mean that a compressor only increases a decibel for every 10 decibels of incoming audio above the threshold. Now this, I know it's tough to get your head around, 
But think of the ratio as the price the incoming audio has to pay to increase the loudness of the track. If you're trying to prevent clipping, you'd make the incoming audio pay a lot more to ensure the audio doesn't clip, perhaps 20 decibels or more to increase the volume by one decibel. But if you're just trying to smooth out audio for a more consistent tone, you might charge less or have a lower ratio of 1.5 or 3 decibels for every 1 decibel of rise in volume. Really hope this metaphor has cleared things up and hasn't muddied the waters more, but it was, it was the best. I looked on the internet, no one has a good metaphor for compressors. It's unmetaphorable. However, sometimes you might not want the compressor to simply activate when audio passes the threshold and then shut off once it goes back down, especially if you're trying to smooth out audio rather than prevent clipping. This is where the knee comes in handy because it basically smooths out the compressor, applying compression after the threshold proportional to the knee amount. So what this means is if the ratio is set to 10 to 1 and the knee is 10 decibels, then the compressor would only apply the full ratio after the signal was 10 decibels over the threshold. And then anything in between the threshold and 10 decibels over the threshold, the compressor would compress at a ratio that was somewhere in between 1 to 1 and 10 to 1, proportional to how close it was to the threshold. And after that, we have to decide the attack and the release of our compressors. The attack is how long it takes the compressor to react after your audio crosses the threshold. To tame peaks, we want it to be relatively short, even as low as 0 milliseconds for digital compressors. The release, conversely, is how long a compressor still applies processing after the audio is no longer above the threshold. This is to ensure that if audio peaks multiple times within a short period, the release will still be applying compression to the track even after the attack was too slow to catch the subsequent peaks. So think about laughter, for example. If someone laughs, ha 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 that person has a very odd laugh, you probably don't want them on the podcast anymore, but each one of those haws is a peak. And if your attack is too slow, your compressor wouldn't catch each individual one, so it might catch the first one and then let the subsequent ones through. But with a longer release, it would catch each of those subsequent haws. Some compressors will even have an auto-release function that will continually adjust the compressor's release to avoid overcompression and pumping. And so these are the five basic parameters that every compressor will have. They have an attack, a release, a knee, a threshold, and a ratio. However, if you're following our guide to podcast editing, you'll notice that the first compressor we use is Reaper's Recomp, which has a few more parameters like pre-compressor or pre-comp, which looks ahead of the signal and applies compression before the audio is about to cross the threshold. So some people call it a negative attack because it has less than a zero millisecond attack time. So it's actually looking ahead, you know, 50 milliseconds ahead and adjusting its threshold based on that. It also has high and low pass filters, which will allow you to specify which frequencies the compressor will react to. So if someone bangs on the table excitedly as they talk, for example, you could adjust the high pass filter to 100 hertz so that it would only look at the signal from 100 hertz and upward, as opposed to low energy generated by the table bangs. The recomp also has options for auto makeup, which will bring up the whole signal by the amount of gain reduction it applies to the peaks. It also features classic attack, which makes it operate more like old compressors that would gradually stop compressing the signal if it went way over the threshold. However, that's not super useful for us right now. What is useful, however, is the RMS size, which basically smooths out the loudest and quietest parts of your audio according to a moving volume average. And so this basically smooths out our peaks and our lows to make everything sort of more consistent all around. And so try moving this upwards to 20 to even 50 milliseconds if you're having trouble getting a consistent tone 
from a vocal on a track. Now that we know what a compressor is, you should know that there are very few times in which one compressor will give you the best results in podcast editing. This is why I always caution against people using their mixer's compression into their DAW because it usually ends up applying something like a 10 to 1 ratio at a very low threshold, flattening out the dynamics completely and giving your voice a very boomy quality that makes it more akin to radio DJs. Instead, we here at Ponergy typically use three compressors operating at either two or three decibels of gain reduction each so to kind of chip away at the track. One before the EQ to start bringing down the peaks and the other two after the EQ to smooth out the tone more evenly. This way you're still getting the volume you need in your track, but it keeps the dynamics of regular speech and you can still hear the natural inflection of voices. And I found that the easiest way to get beginner podcasters to start using multiple compressors working in tandem is Sonic Anomaly's Tri-Leveler 2, which works by having three compressors set to look at fast, medium, and slow attacks that constantly adjust and work with each other to make sure your audio has a consistent volume. Just as we've outlined the fast tames the peaks, the medium deals with the main sections of your voice, and the slow makes sure your whole signal is hitting the loudness standard, which is negative 19 luffs for podcasts, which is a thing we'll have to get into in another episode, because again, this is a winding road we go down. In fact, looking at the three meters down at the bottom of Tri-Leveler operating probably does a better job at explaining how to use multiple compressors in tandem than I ever could. So I encourage you to go. There'll be a link in the show notes to check that out. You can start applying it to your podcast today and it will just, it's featured in our podcast editing suite. It's a set it and forget it plugin. And so this brings us to where to put a compressor in your FX chains, as it can significantly change the sound of your podcast. Typically on a single voice track, you want to put it after any noise reduction and gating and have one bring down the peaks before your EQ and then have your medium and slow response compressors after the EQ, but before your de-esser, which will be our next episode. We do this because we need to incorporate the boosts or cuts the EQ will add into our signal into the final amount. We put it before the de-esser, otherwise the compressor would just bring up the de-esser sound of the original level, which isn't very helpful. We're talking about de-essers, and if you haven't used a de-esser before, then boy, is your podcast in for an upgrade, because a de-esser is a podcaster's best friend. It reduces the sibilance, words with th or sh sounds in them, like chip, zip, zip, or jump. So it reduces the sibilance of those phrases so that they don't jump out in the listener's ears. It's literally a d -er. Once you start listening for sibilance, you'll never be able to unhear it. And, you know, now I apologize for that, but it's all in an effort to help you make a better podcast. And actually, this episode might go a little quicker because a de-esser is a combination of the last two things we looked at. It's an equalizer and a compressor, uh, which makes it a kind of multiband compressor, which we'll get to eventually. But essentially, it operates like a compressor, but we can specify the frequency bands it looks like, like an EQ. A sibilance almost always occurs within the 3 to 10 kilohertz, if not higher, range DSers look at these frequencies specifically and compress based solely on the information in this range. So, because a DSer is so much like the two things we're already familiar with, it makes sense that many of the parameters are going to be the same. From the equalizer side of things, there's a frequency range that we can choose from, typically from 3 to 5 kilohertz all the way up to either 20 kilohertz or an infinite setting, which is just anything higher than the lowest setting you put it at. So, like from 3 kilohertz to infinity. From the compressor side of things, we have a threshold or the point at which a de will start compressing the signal and either a ratio or a range. 
So a ratio, just like on a compressor, will be the amount of decibels needed to move the signal up in this frequency range by one decibel. While a range is the most amount of gain reduction the de-esser will use to keep the signal at the threshold you've put. This is more simple, but it's also less common than a ratio. That being said, with either method, it's very hard to overcompress the signal for podcasting purposes, and it becomes very evident when you do. So just use your ears on this one. The most important setting to choose on de-esser, however, is whether to use split or wideband mode. Split band literally splits the incoming signal into frequencies with sibilance in them and those without. In split band mode, the de-esser will only compress the frequencies you've set it to look at. So again, that 3 to 5 kilohertz to 10 kilohertz range or wherever you've set it and leave the other frequencies untouched. This is handy in music production where you might want to keep that airy 10 to 15 kilohertz sound that makes the singer sound more present. But for us, it's just an efficient way of reducing the sound. Wideband, however, will compress the whole signal whenever it detects sibilance. This can be very useful to podcasters with less expensive microphones where sibilant words have a tendency to kind of sound extra harsh across a wider spectrum than de-esser would normally detect. So, you know, sometimes if you're talking into a, you know, a hundred dollar microphone or something like that, and you'll hear there's just a little bit more harshness. The frequency response in the high end is a little bit more resonant, I guess is the way to put it. And so a wideband can sort of bring down the whole signal more which is great because it will be reducing those high-end resonant frequencies more. But that being said, you do have to dial in your settings a little more precisely with wideband, as this method can reduce your whole signal, meaning that there's more chance of accidentally compressing words that don't have sibilance in them just because you've set up the compressor wrong. And so that can lead to odd audio dips. To help you strike the right balance, here are some tips just to keep in mind with a de-esser. First one, Keep your threshold low, and I mean really low, like around negative 40 to negative 20 decibels. Because sibilance cuts through so much harsher than other sounds, you want to start compressing it as soon as we detect it on the track. So really, really low thresholds. Conversely, tip number two, high ratios. Again, really, really high ratios. Eight to one is a good starting place. So again, eight decibels to move up the signal's audio one decibel. But even that might not be enough, so be prepared to go as much as 15 to 1 or higher. Now that you know what sibilance is, you're never going to want to hear it again, and so low threshold and high ratio is really the way to go with these things. And this brings us really nicely into our third tip, which is just trust your ears. If you're picking up too much sibilance, don't be afraid to go beyond the settings we set up. If you're detecting too much sibilance, there is too much sibilance. Your ears are the best indicator for both under and over DS voices. So over DS means does your guest all of a sudden sound super nasally? Does you sound like this all of a sudden? Well, then back off your ratio a little bit. And then here's one that's a little bit more complicated, but it's a good tip to have, sorry, in your back pocket, and that's to double up on DSers. If you're having trouble, again, with sort of a part that's really resonant in the high end, you're getting a lot of harsh, harsh high end sound, don't be afraid to try using two DSers in tandem. For me personally, I like to use a split band de-esser to tame the sibilance only, and then a gentler wide band to bring down the high end more naturally. So like have a really aggressive split band, but then maybe have a gentler three to four or five decibel wide band that's bringing down the whole signal a little bit can really help out with those extra crunchy S words. And our last tip for this for de-essing is just compress and then de-ess. So keep your de-essers after your compressors in your signal chain. 
because we want to be using our compressors to bring up the volume and deessers to bring down the volume of problematic parts. So it wouldn't make sense to bring down those problematic parts and then bring them back up again with the compressor. So make sure you're using your head with this one. Now, at this point, I wish I had a cool plugin like Tri-Leveler that I could recommend to you, but unfortunately, the best free DSers seem to come packaged with your digital audio workstation. I've tried to find a universal and free intuitive DSer a few times online, and I've always come up empty-handed. So if you're using our complete guide to podcast editing and are using Reaper's Re-X Comp, keep in mind that you can go a lot lower than the threshold and a lot higher on the ratio than we necessarily list on the guide to get your voice sounding silky smooth. Because it is something that just, it's so personal to every person's voice. You just got to lock in those settings for what works for you. And so this is following up on our article about DSers. Today we're looking at multiband compressors and both are frequency specific compressors. So they're using EQ to look at specific bands, but whereas DSers only reduce siblings, multiband compressors can be used on any part of the spectrum. And for us podcasters, there's one great and simple way to implement multiband compressors for our vocal tracks. And we do this to bring down the harshness of the high end without totally flattening out the sound. If you listen to a lot of NPR or Freakonomics or Radiolab or 99% Invisible, you'll notice that they don't have much in the way of information on the high end. It's still there, it's still present, but it sounds a little bit more contained. But as we've mentioned before, a lot of inexpensive microphones can have an uneven response curve in the high end, making the voices sound overly sibilant. And in the 8 to 20 kilohertz range, which is what we're looking at today, it can make it sound harsh and digitally distorted. And this, coupled with low bitrate MP3's propensity to distort high-end information, can make for a really nasty listening experience. So to mitigate this, we're using a multiband compressor on the 8 to 20 kilohertz range, much in the same way as we DS'd in the 4 to 10 kilohertz range. But unlike the sibilant range, however, the 8 to 20 kilohertz range still has information that can be nice sounding in moderation. So setting a threshold level of, and again, this is all depending on your recording levels, but of about negative 20 dB and a fairly high ratio of 10 to 1 or so is a good place to start. And from there, start adjusting your levels until you start hearing that high end smooth out. It shouldn't sound lopped off like if we'd used an EQ to just scoop out that range. It should sound more contained. You start to hear that smoothness in the high end. You, it's tough to describe, but you'll know it when you hear it. And because we've already covered all the elements of multiband compressors in our EQ, compressor, and deesser episodes, I only have a few tips for you here. And the first one is to use sparingly. Uh, apart from taming the high end, you shouldn't necessarily use a multiband compressor very often. In fact, if you look around the internet, most music production sites caution against using multiband compression unless you're an expert because of the skill needed to blend crossover points well. For the way we're using it, there's only one crossover point between the high-end range and the sibilant range, which is already heavily compressed, so there isn't much of an issue there. And my second tip is to trust your ears again. This is another one that sort of goes without saying. Your ears will be the best indicator of when you've taken enough off the top, as it were. If you spent too long trying to get the level right, don't be afraid to take a 15-minute break and then pop on your favorite podcast and listen to their high-end for a little bit. When you go back to editing, you'll immediately know how close to the mark you are. And this final one is just the order in which we like to put these things in. And it's usually compressor, then our deesser, then our multiband compressor. So we've got our compressors, or in, you know, if you're following our guide over at Ponji.co, you're using tri-leveler to sort of get that level right. Then you're bringing your siblings down with deesser. And then if your high end is giving you a problem, use this multiband compressor tip here after the deesser. 
At least this is what's worked best for me. Again, we don't want to try and bring things down in the multiband compressor and then bring it back up again with tri-leveler. That just wouldn't make sense. So try this out. If you're using inexpensive mics or trying to match the tone between inexpensive and expensive mics, for instance, I record a podcast with some friends and we just use whatever mics are around. So usually it's like an SM7B, an AKG Perception 100, and a Chinese microphone that someone bought a long time ago. It doesn't even have a name on it. And so sometimes when I'm trying to get everybody sounding the same, I'll bring in a few multiband compressors and make sure each one is taking some frequency off the high end to sort of match everybody up with the, the nice tones of the 7B. And so, um, yeah, this is <laughs> rather a short episode just because so much of what we've already covered was already done in the EQ, compressor, and de article. So you should have a really good handle on what a multiband compressor is. And we're not even necessarily saying you do this all the time. Just do this on the tracks that you think need it. But this is the last in our series of per track processing. Our next podcast will be about the light processing to do on our master bus. So the one will be what to do on our master bus. And again, we're not doing very much because we've already done so much mixing on a per track level to get everybody even. And then after that, I'm going to take a week off from doing these shows, even though we just started up because I'm working on our next big guide. So our complete guide to podcast editing has been a huge hit because you can do everything for free and you can get it sounding great. And the next thing I'm going to do that I'm still trying to figure out and research is how to do denoising and just general audio repair, getting the best sounds that you can for free. So that's what I'm going to be working on next week. And then after that, we'll be back with some audio repair tips for this podcast. It's going to be pretty cool. I'm excited, guys. So again, I'm Riley Byrne from Podigy.co. Come check out our podcast editing guide. If you want to take your podcast up to the next level, if you don't even want to deal with podcast editing anymore, come check out us. We can handle it for you. We do that. We do great show notes. It's amazing. All of our podcasts sound great and we take a lot of pride in what we do. 